Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, so uh, we're starting a, a new sermon series uh, this week. We were hoping to do this in person with uh, everybody involved, but uh, we felt uh, as we committed to this um, that no, actually regardless of whether we're in person or on the live stream, we're still going to uh, press on and do this. Uh, what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is talking about our Gospel Ministry Centre, our sermon series here, unpacking this, what we think is the very next step uh, for the life of Exchange Church here, uh, simply working for Jesus and submitting to his rule and seeing his kingdom grow here in the Greater Shepherd and Goulburn Valley and the world beyond. Uh, a couple of things you'll be thinking, Gospel Ministry Centre is uh, we're talking about a building, a facility, a place where we can permanently call home for Exchange Church uh, and that'll require financial giving. A couple of things I want to say really up the front before we jump into this, uh, we're not pressuring anybody to give. Okay, we're not pressuring anybody to give. We're not going to guilt anybody into giving uh, into the Gospel Ministry Centre Fund. What we want to do is we want to see people uh, get a large and glorious vision of Jesus Christ and out of the overflow of that, out of the overflow of who Christ is and what he's done, with a glad heart, want to joyfully give to a Gospel Ministry Centre here for Exchange Church to see the Gospel go out to uh, produce and make disciples. So please, let's, let's be really clear up the front. We're not pressuring anybody. We're not guilting anybody. We actually want this to be an overflow of worship out of our hearts that sees us uh, financially and sacrificially give here to uh, produce a facility, a gospel ministry centre to help make disciples. So over these next few weeks, as we unpack that primarily by um, de- delivering a bigger vision of who Jesus Christ is, we actually want you to have prayerful conversations, whether it be husband or wife or um, mother and father with their kids, just whoever, maybe close friends, prayerful conversations here about what you could do to help uh, see this vision take place for a gospel ministry centre uh, to come into fruition here in the Greater Shepherdon area and the Goulburn Valley to help produce disciples. Today though, as we just kick off of that, um, I'm going to open up my iPad. No, here it is. A little bit of history. A little bit of history for you guys. Um, If we go back just a few thousand years ago, uh, there was an Egyptian pharaoh called Tutankhamun. Tutankhamun. Uh, He was mummified thousands of years ago. And when he was mummified, that was embalmed and put into the Egyptian pyramids, uh, he went in there with a large number of his treasures. What did he do? Uh, He put all the things that he highly valued and thought he would need to make him comfortable to live in the afterlife in the next place of existence for him at that particular time. He put everything. He actually had a solid gold chariot placed within him, uh, not within him, within the tomb where he was, and a whole range of other things gathered around with him, thinking this is exactly what he needed, and this is exactly what he treasured and wanted to be with him in that next life. Well... Uh, His tomb was discovered and opened by a man called Howard Carter in 1922. His mummified body was still there, embalmed inside the gold uh, coffin he was in, and also the gold chariot that was there as well. 
Nothing had helped Tutankhamun in the afterlife as far as all these treasures he thought would make him comfortable for his next existence. There's only one treasure. There's only one treasure that will be able to do that. There's only one treasure that will not let us down and carry us to eternity to enjoy that treasure. And that treasure is Jesus Christ our Lord. Turn with me your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, 46, and let us read that together. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and went and bought it. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can come this morning and uh, open up your word. Father, we thank you this morning that we've been rescued and saved by your son, Jesus Christ, who poured out his blood upon that cross 2,000 years ago. Father, we thank you that we can appropriate that by faith today. Lord, we can't see Jesus, we can't hear Jesus in the physical, but by faith, as we open up your word, he speaks to us and we see him. So Lord, I pray, even as we embark upon this series over these next few weeks, I ask and pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do a significant work in my heart and a significant work in the hearts of all those that are hearing and listening today. That it's not about me, it's not about us, it's not about us building a kingdom here upon this earth, but it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about his glory and how we can proclaim and display his glory out through our lives. Please, I pray, Lord, as we embark upon this over these next few weeks, few weeks, grow Christ within us, I pray. Significantly grow Christ within us. And out of an overflow of worship from our hearts, let us generously give, declaring who our real treasure is. Lord, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Matthew was written by a tax collector called Matthew. There you go. It was probably very wealthy, probably extremely wealthy. They were known for building their fortune, tax collectors that is, by ripping off their fellow countrymen. That's how they actually accumulated their wealth. Not a great way to live, but anyway, he was a rich guy. Uh, Matthew, though, had met Jesus Christ. Uh, Meeting Jesus Christ for Matthew changed everything in his life. He was a changed man from the inside out. After meeting Jesus, Matthew walked away from his tax collecting business because he found a superior worth and joy in Jesus and wanted to spend the rest of his life proclaiming that and declaring the greatness of who Christ is. Some of the stuff that Matthew does for us, though, when he records this gospel account of Jesus Christ, is that he does record some of the largest teaching blocks that we see here in the Bible. And what we see here gives us a really profound insight into Jesus and the glorious person he is as we read these large sections of what Jesus spoke about. And what Jesus unveils for us here through Matthew is a snapshot, just a snapshot here, of the immeasurable glory and worth of his kingdom. 
just a little snapshot, it's just a, a vignette we might call it. It's just a small piece, but so powerful. Here's a big idea as we think about that today, and it's this. In discovering the worth and value of Jesus Christ, we will joyfully do whatever it takes to have him and proclaim him. We'll do whatever it takes to have him and proclaim him, and we'll do that joyfully. Okay, so Matthew 13, as we've just read from that chapter now, is known as the parables of the kingdom. There's actually seven parables here right through Matthew 13. There's the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven and the bread, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the valuable pearl, and then the parable of the net. And it really does appear like that all the last six parables are linked to the very first parable there, the parable of the sower, where Jesus talks about the sower of the seed, sowing the word of God and the different soils that receive that word and how they produce fruit or don't produce fruit after hearing that word. And then he goes on to give these six parables here, following on from that one, declaring the seriousness of God's kingdom, the joy of God's kingdom and the treasure of God's kingdom as well. So what's Jesus doing? He's in the middle of this earthly ministry teaching and training disciples to continue on his ministry after he leaves. And in these parables here, this first focus, particularly in the parable we're looking at today, verse 44, the focus is the kingdom of heaven. He says there, the kingdom of heaven is like... The kingdom of heaven is like... So it's the focus here upon the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven as we think about that? Is it a physical place? Well, yes, partly it is. There's a physical kingdom of heaven. At this point, though, really, it's a spiritual kingdom than us. So partly it's a, a, a physical place. Is the kingdom of heaven a state of being or existence? Absolutely it is. Totally it is. It is a, it is a state of being and a state of existence. Is the kingdom of heaven something that's here now or is it coming in the future? Well, yes and yes. It is here now residing within us and as we get together we represent the kingdom of heaven but it's coming in the future in totality. It's here now, yes, and it's also coming in the future. What does Jesus mean here by the kingdom of heaven when he says that? Well, in all those things I've just mentioned, it is those. I believe Jesus sees that as all those things as the kingdom of heaven but he also sees himself as primary as we think about God's kingdom as well. It's best described as him. Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. Have a look at this verse with me in Mark chapter 1, where he says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the beginning of his ministry. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's at hand? Well, the kingdom of God's at hand, Jesus says there. And who's standing before them as that is said? Well, it's Jesus. He's bringing the kingdom, God's rule and reign upon earth. You see, everything we can imagine or perceive about the kingdom of heaven is complete in the person of God. And who is God? God is the triune God. Three in one, the Father, Son and Spirit. Jesus the Son stands before them as that representation of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is God. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus Christ. So we could say the verse 44 is a bit like this. The kingdom of heaven is like or God is like. And then follow that on. 
the kingdom of heaven is centred on God. His being and presence is the all-encompassing kingdom of heaven. So what does Jesus say here then about God or this kingdom of heaven? Jesus says to discover God is to discover a treasure. What does Jesus mean here when he says treasure? Does Jesus mean untold wealth and riches? Is that what Jesus means when you discover me? Well, not really in a monetary sense he doesn't mean that. If that was the case, we'd be aiming far too low because Jesus is worth far more than all the money we could accumulate in this world. What Jesus means by treasure is something of extreme worth or value. Now, in the copy parable of this in verse 46, it gives us the context here of this valuable pearl. So it's this value here that he's talking about. When we say God is a treasure... Or Jesus is a treasure. We're not saying that because he may make us overflow in riches. That's not what Jesus is talking about here in this value. As though somehow we've, we've stumbled across the magic formula to solve all of our financial troubles. That's not what Jesus is talking about. God is our treasure. Jesus is our treasure in who he is to us in his immeasurable worth. As the person of Christ, as the person of God, or as the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is God? God is our creator and our life giver. I don't take my next breath unless God ordains it within me. God's created me and God's created every one of you who are watching online now. When God created us, he created the human cell when he designed us. And what is the human cell? The human cell makes up the basic building blocks of who we are. The human cell comes together, performing all these functions and these organs within us so that we work together in perfect harmony as a body. The Bible tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Scientists can't exactly count the number of body cells within a human body, but they believe somewhere between 30 to 40 trillion cells come together within a human body to make us function. That's staggering. That's amazing. God's the creator of that. God is also the creator of the universe around us. In all of its beauty and its mind-blowing order and complexity, it is he who has put that together. We could stand at the foot of Mount Everest and look up at this gigantic mountain and we would probably feel really small, really small as we stood there and took in this side of Mount Everest. Or we can stand at the coastline we can watch those massive waves pounding in against the rocks at a coastline and we can feel very insignificant as we see at the creativity of God. Look at how Job understood God here in his creative powers. He says this in Job chapter 26. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, God's power that is, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Look at this next verse. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. 
and how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Behold, these are but the tiniest outskirts of his ways. We only see such a small fraction of who God is in creation. Yet it blows us away with its magnificence. And it's only the outskirts of his ways. God's created this glorious planet that Sir David Attenborough calls a perfect planet. You can go onto YouTube and you can watch it and maybe some of you watched it on TV. He he created this documentary called uh, A Perfect Planet in all of its beauty and its complexity. I'd encourage you to go and watch that because I totally agree with Sir David Attenborough. Yes, it is beautiful. It is complex. But it's saying something to us. This world is speaking to us and it's saying this, his glory, his glory, his glory. So David Attenborough, he can't see that at this stage. We should pray for that man. He does such wonderful documentaries, but he can't see that it's speaking to us. It's his glory. Not only in his creative powers is God glorious, God is also the embodiment and the perfection of love and peace and joy through all of his person, demonstrated so wonderfully within the Trinity, such a harmony of love and peace and joy between the Father, the Son and the Spirit, dwelling eternally in this peace and joy and love. These are the basic elements for human flourishing, for us to gather together in community. It's peace and it's joy and it's love. And what's incredible about this is that God has created us to know him and to relate to him. He's not some distant being who doesn't want to be connected to us. He wants to be vitally connected to us. And his love and his grace, what has he done? He's created us in his image so that we can comprehend and experience his glory. God reveals himself to us and makes known to us who he is. The very first two human beings ever created by God, Adam and Eve, walked and talked with him in the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine that? They walked and they talked with God. They experienced this glorious relational God who wanted to share his glory with them, to make it known to them. What have they experienced? They experienced a treasure beyond any estimable worth we could ever think of. But in sheer astonishment, in sheer astonishment, Adam and Eve walked away from this treasure in God. They disobeyed God and they broke fellowship with him and they cut that fellowship off. Sheer astonishment that they would do that. And if we'd have been there, we would have done exactly the same thing. Adam and Eve sinned and cut themselves off from God and they walked away. Ultimately though, ultimately though, this only served for God to reveal himself to Adam and Eve and to us today as a far deeper treasure, way beyond our comprehension, to a whole other level in God's sovereign purposes and God's sovereign plans. He did something with that to reveal himself in a whole new dimension. 
God put in plan a place, put in plan a place to bridge this unassailable chasm that had now just opened up between God and mankind. And that plan was to be a demonstration of love and grace beyond imagination. God would send his only son, Jesus Christ, to become our sin bearer, to close that chasm up again and bring us back to God. God would pour out his perfect wrath, his holy anger, his divine anger on Jesus Christ, bearing our sin on that cross. That's a treasure. That's a treasure beyond all estimation. Bring this back into Matthew 13 though, because Jesus is yet to die and rise again at this stage. But he's telling them this is who God is. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a treasure. Let's get a picture here of how the apostles began to see this treasure beyond the other side of the grave and the resurrection where Jesus rose again because they actually got to see a bigger picture of this treasure on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Look what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. To preach what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. He saw the treasure. He saw that it was the unsearchable riches of Christ. And again, as he wrote to the Philippians, he says this to them in chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Did you see what he just wrote there? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What did Paul discover? In understanding the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul discovered that what he has in Jesus Christ is everything. Everything. And whatever he gained in this world, whatever he accumulated in this world, is nothing, is nothing in comparison to the glory he now knows in Jesus Christ. It's amazing what Paul picks up. He sees it, he gets the picture of this treasure. Jesus says, when you discover me, you've discovered a treasure. A treasure that unites you back to the Father to know his glory once again and to see all of life with transformed vision now. Okay, Jesus talks about here securing this treasure. Let's see how he illustrates it then about this value of this treasure here and what this man does in this parable, as it were, to secure this treasure. And the picture here is a farm worker digging up in the paddock. Uh, He's digging along and discovers a buried treasure. Now, you might think that seems like a strange story, but actually that's how a lot of them kept their treasures safe back in in that day of Jesus' time. They would find a particular part of the paddock, uh, mark it out, bury the treasure there so no one else knew where that was. So this is legit story. Uh, this man covers over it again and then in joy sells all of his possessions to go and buy that field. What's Jesus saying to here, saying to us here when he says that? He's saying there's nothing in this world that compares to me. 
Jesus is saying there's nothing in this world that compares to him. When you discover Jesus, you're willing to part with anything and everything to have him. Why? Because you've discovered that he's a treasure, that nothing else comes anywhere near him. There's nothing like Jesus. It's an an inestimable worth. You cannot put a value upon this. It's a bit like when you hear that story of people when war medals are stolen from somebody's home. What's the monetary value of those war medals? Probably nothing. But they are treasured and irreplaceable medals. Why? Because of the person who earned those medals and the connection that you have with that person. It becomes a worth far beyond that you could ever imagine. That Jesus is that worth. And Jesus is saying to me, saying to us this, when you discover me, when you discover the kingdom of heaven, you'll discover God. You'll discover life. You'll discover what you've been made for. You'll discover the meaning and the purpose of the universe. And when you discover what I've done at the cross to save and rescue you, you'll understand what a treasure I am. When you discover me, and you look out of this world, you just won't see a blue sky and a vast ocean swarming with life. You will see that, but you'll see something far more than that. You look out at this ocean, you look up upon the sky, and it'll speak back to you. You'll see the glory of God speaking to you from the sky, from the ocean. Not with a physical voice, but the voice of the Spirit working in your heart saying, this is God's glory. This is God's spectacular glory. And I have a treasure in Christ that connects me with that glory to make me just raise my hands and just look to him in glory and praise because he's my treasure and he's opened my eyes up to see that. When you truly see me, Jesus says, you'll gladly give away all to have me. That's precisely what's happening today all around our world. In the Christian persecuted countries of this world, daily, daily, Christians are being murdered for their faith. They're offered a chance to deny Jesus and to keep their lives, which is probably their most valuable possession, is to keep their life. But they don't. They don't do that. They don't make that choice. Why not? Because they've discovered a treasure in Christ and there's nothing in this world that compares with him now this parable again is connected with the other parables here in this chapter they're all designed by Jesus to make him look holy and glorious which he is and Jesus assures his disciples here that following his kingdom you've made the right decision just in case you're thinking about what what am I going and who am I following now you've made the right decision Why do I say that? Because back earlier on in Matthew, we could see there that some of these guys made really hard sacrificial decisions. Some of them walked away from family-owned fishing businesses. Some of them walked away from money-making as tax collectors, as as bad as that job was. Uh, They actually made some pretty big decisions here. Costly decisions, perhaps, in many sense. Now, Jesus wasn't enticing them here with this parable to say, hey, you'll make more money with me. He's not doing that. Jesus is saying, whatever you're treasuring here on earth will not compare with the treasure you have in me. Now, they didn't see it that day when Jesus was telling them this, but they did see it and experience it down the track. 
a part of there how we saw with Paul. But Peter also talks, Peter the Apostle also talks about this treasure he discovered down the track where it has to begin to open up within his heart and mind. And here's what he said to the, in the letter he wrote in First Peter chapter 1. He says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get what Peter's saying there? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, may do what? May result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This trial is producing something, a deeper, more profound faith. And look at verse 8 here, it begins to actually open up and see the, the, the uh, benefits of that. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe. You believe in him. You don't see him, but you believe in him. And what do you do? You rejoice with joy. What is that joy? It's inexpressible and it's filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You don't see him, but you believe in him. And that results in this inexpressible joy, filled with glory. See, the disciples only knew this treasure and joy in part then, but now in eternity they know him in growing fullness. We may only know Jesus in part now and have a foretaste of what he's like now, but a day's coming. A day's coming when we will know him in growing fullness as well. A day's coming where our joy will be full and overflowing for eternity, experiencing this treasure. So where's the connection then to the Gospel Ministry Centre? That's what we're talking about today and next Sunday and the following Sunday. We have this treasure and joy right now. We have the Gospel of Truth given to us that can save and rescue other people. Because of what we know and what we've experienced in Christ, we want to pass this on. We don't want to keep this joy and treasure to ourselves. We want to pass this on. We want others to know and experience the same gospel that the Holy Spirit's opened up in our lives. We want other people to experience that, to know that, to know who Jesus is and to experience that relationship with him. We all have family and friends who are currently cut off from Christ. You can think of them in your own family or you can think of them in your own friendship circle. And we also know this, what the Bible says, that if they should die that way, cut off from Christ, that they will suffer eternally under God's right judgment. Who are they like? Currently, they're just like Tutankhamun, gathering and accumulating all the treasures and possessions they can gather on this earth, thinking that will sustain them, that will keep them, that will make me happy and and carry me right through life trying to gain all these things but outside of Christ those treasures and possessions they're accumulating will just be like Tutankhamun's they'll do nothing for them before God we want them to know and experience Jesus Christ our treasure we want them to know and experience
experience his forgiveness, his love, his grace. We want them to taste and see that the Lord is good beyond their wildest imaginations. Inexpressible joy is what we want them to know in and through Christ. We want them to know and to feel this about God. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now you may have learnt that verse in Sunday school. Let it just be like a Sunday school verse. That verse has got glory written all over it. That verse has got treasure written all over it. Think about what's going on there. For God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's got glory and it's got treasure written all over that. Can you see that? We want people to know and see Jesus. We want people to see Jesus Christ walking the road to Calvary. Bloodied, bruised, beaten. Why? Sent his only son to die in our place. To bear our sin. We want people to believe in who Jesus is. We want people to see Jesus from the cross saying, It is finished. The debt has been paid. Sin's power has been broken. The the enemy of death has been conquered. It is finished. We want people to see the risen Christ in that way. And as that happens, as that happens, people will discover Jesus as their supreme treasure and their lives will be totally transformed. We want that to take place. And as that happens... We will expand as a body, a body of believers. The number of believers will grow. We believe God is going to build his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gaze of hell will not prevail against that. And that has happened here at Exchange Church over the years. We started more than 10 years ago now with 15 or 20 people meeting together. Today we have over 100 people who call Exchange Church their home. We, we praise God for that growth. We praise God that people are discovering Jesus as their treasure. It's his doing with us as his instruments and tools in his hands. And that's exactly how it should be. And in our current facility, we are maxed out, guys. We are maxed out. When we are able to be in person, uh, there is no more space left for us where we are meeting. And we want more people to come into this body. We want more people to grow as disciples. We want to see this across all ages of kids and youth and adults. We've got a growing number of kids and youth at our church. It is fantastic to see that. And there's something really special here and something the Holy Spirit does when these larger gatherings as we come together where our faith is encouraged and built up. There's five of us here today, which is great. But if there's 105 here, it would be totally different as we all unite together. There's something in that gathering that that sort of grows and fosters collective strength and joy as the community of believers come together to inspire us as disciples in Jesus Christ. We want people to know and experience that stirring of faith as we gather together as the community of believers. So what do we do? We need a larger facility. 
we need a larger home. Why? So that our kids can learn and be excited about Jesus when they gather. We need a larger home, a larger facility, a building where our youth and our adults can be coming together and encouraged and built up in the gospel as we open up God's word together. We need a facility also, a purpose-built gospel ministry centre that isn't at the mercy of the council of when they'll close us or when they'll open us. It's vitally needed, this gospel ministry centre. Now, we love working with the Shepherd and City Council. They are really great to get on with. But at the same time, there's a number of limitations we've got to work with that other churches don't have to work with. It becomes very difficult for us. These limitations actually become barriers for our gatherings and that then becomes a hindrance for our growth when these things keep up opening and closing on us. A purpose-built gospel ministry centre begins to remove some of those barriers and helps create more opportunities to proclaim Jesus as our all-surpassing treasure. And we believe that that will enable us to see more growth as we're able to establish a gospel ministry centre building loving, strong disciples of Jesus Christ. We're convinced, guys, this is the next step at Exchange Church because we believe Jesus Christ is worth everything when we get a glimpse and understanding of who he is and the treasure he is to us and the treasure we want to display to this world. This has got to be the next step for us to see his kingdom grow within us and to see his kingdom grow here where we live in this greater shepherd and area. Join with me in prayer now. Lord, thank you. Thank you today for the unbelievable message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you today, Lord, as uh, we're able to gather just a few of us here. Lord, your word knows no boundaries. Lord, your word can uh, walk into any heart via your Holy Spirit. This morning, Lord, I just simply, simply pray grow Christ within our hearts grow Jesus Christ in our hearts Lord please 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 help us to see him and let that radically transform us Lord from the inside out and that Lord from this vision of the gospel this vision of who Jesus is I pray Holy Spirit Transform our hearts with just radical, sacrificial generosity. That this is not something we want to keep to ourselves. That this is something we want to share, Lord. That this is something we want to see grow. I pray today, let that word and let that picture and let that vision of who Jesus is take hold in our hearts. And the Lord, we would act upon that, I pray, for your glory and for your praise. Father, I ask that, I pray that now this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.